You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. As you're seated, go ahead. I'm not not going to have you stand tonight for the reading because we're not going to get to it for just a little bit, um, at least a few minutes here. Matthew 28 is where we're going to be, so go ahead and turn there in Matthew 28. And uh, again, I'm thankful for our guests tonight and for those that are visiting with us. We've been going in a series. uh, We've been on Wednesday nights um, as a church family in a series that I've been calling Why Baptist? And, you know, if you ask the question, Why Baptist?, then you would have to answer with, because we believe the Bible. That's the idea, is that we, are, we believe that our Baptist doctrine is Bible doctrine. We, we, we don't add to it. We're just simply looking at the Bible and telling, and it's telling us what we ought to believe. And, and last week, we started looking at truths related to the local church. And in the acronym we've been using, uh, we use, it's Baptist. It started with biblical authority. And then the letter A is autonomy of the local church. B-A-P-T, whatever it is, Baptist, B-A-P-T-I-S-T-S, okay? It's, you know what's funny about that is when I was a kid, I was a, I was a legendary speller, by the way. I'll tell you the story sometime, but I've obviously lost my touch. Okay, Baptists and B-A-P-T-I-S-T-S. So B, biblical authority, A, autonomy of the local church. That's where we're, that's what we started last week, and we started by studying the nature of the church, what it means to be a local church. And we looked at the Greek word for church, which is ekklesia, and it, it comes from ek and, and kaleo, which means to call out of. A church is a called out assembly. And, uh, and that was the understanding of those who first heard Jesus use that word in Matthew 16. When he said ekklesia, or church, his disciples would have immediately thought about an assembly of people coming together for a specific reason. And knowing that, then the nature of the church, what we talked about last week, is a few things. It is by nature of its definition, it is local. Meaning, you cannot have an assembly of people unless they come together. It's not an assembly otherwise. So an assembly is only an assembly if it comes together in a particular place. And the majority of references to church in the New Testament are to a particular assembly in a particular geographical location. Now, there are times, like Jesus did in Matthew 16, that he refers to the church as, as the institution, the idea of the, the church as the, an institution but that doesn't mean that it's universal in nature, right? I mean, a church is an assembly. Therefore, it's in a particular location. Um, by nature of its definition, a church is visible. Meaning, if you come together and you assemble, then it's obvious. And if an assembly comes together, it would be visible. That goes without saying. People don't come together and not be seen. And, and again, that opposes the idea of the invisible or universal church as an organism. A church, by nature of its definition, is organized, meaning that the word assembly, it's understood to mean a group of people called together to one specific place for a specific purpose. In other words, we don't just come together um, because, because we all have nothing else to do on Wednesday nights. No, we come together for a specific purpose. We'll be looking at that a little bit more tonight in that there's a specific agenda to be carried out. And according to the New Testament, local churches have a purpose. 
And like a body, if it's a body, if it's not organized or framed together, it cannot fulfill its purpose. So the purpose of the local church is to do the Lord's work, which is largely found in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, which is what we'll be looking at tonight. A church is also constituted, meaning it's an exclusive entity. And this is not to exclude people from coming to church, but there has to be some way in which there's a qualification to be a part of it. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, it says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they added unto them about 3,000 souls. So a church is made up of baptized believers. In order to enter into membership as part of an assembly, the two requirements are salvation by faith in Jesus Christ alone and then baptism. And that baptism would be by immersion. We'll talk about that membership in a scriptural New Testament church. It's exclusive. It's made up of baptized believers. And after that, a member must submit to Christ's qualifications for a believer, meaning that um, it's, it's exclusive from the start in that you must be uh, saved by faith in Christ alone and then baptized and then added to the church. But after that, there are qualifications of Christian living that also must be followed in order to maintain a good relationship with that local church. The New Testament is full of instruction regarding how a believer is to display the image of Christ in their lives. I mean, that's really the large part of what the New Testament's talking about. So, knowing these things, again, this is just review, but the New Testament church is a local visible assembly of baptized believers organized to carry out the Lord's work. A local visible assembly of baptized believers organized to carry out the Lord's work. That's the definition of a church, local church, in a nutshell. And we each must make sure that we're committed to our local church in order to help it carry out the Lord's work. And, and, and again, I, and I know, and I said this last week, but this may feel very instructional. And you say, um, I stopped going to school a long time ago. I get that. Um, but Wednesday nights, uh, in many ways, I do view a Wednesday night as a good opportunity to have a, a Bible study. And many, in many places, they call it Wednesday night Bible study. And, and many times I'll preach a message, a, a normal expository message. Um, but I think it's good for us at times to just take some time and understand why we believe what we believe. Just to look in the Bible and, and see the instruction. Very clear, very simple. And so understanding the nature of the local church, that should help us be, be more committed. You say, what's the application? I mean, if you talk about the local church and the nature of the local church, it, what is the application? I mean, what difference does that make? Well, what I'm, when we go through these things, I hope that you see that our elevated view of the local church should impact how committed we are to it. I mean, if I view the local church as being what God really wanted it to be and what it's supposed to be in Jesus Christ, then, I'm, then my, my commitment level, my involvement level will be elevated. The way I said it last week was let your high position affect your daily operation. My high position, our high position on the importance of the local church should affect how we operate. So our view of the nature of the local church, that affects how passionately involved we are. And tonight, though, rather than look at the nature of the church, I'd like to consider uh, the function of the local church. How does it operate? And 
And I think the best way to start is to consider the mission of the church. And you're going to say, we have heard this so many times, we're all aware of this, and I get it, I understand. Um, But just to go back to the roots of the mission of the local church, let's look at Matthew chapter 28. So Matthew chapter 28, it says in, in verse 16, and I don't know if your Bible has headings, under, under certain texts or above or before a certain verse, mine says Jesus' commission. That's what it says right before verse 16. So let's look what it says. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And that, we could go into that. I'm not going to. We know that some doubted after the resurrection, didn't they? Um, who would you say would be the one best known as the doubter? Thomas, the doubt. Can you imagine if that's your legacy? Poor Thomas. I'm not going to say anything. When I see him in heaven, I'm not going to say anything to him about it because I'm sure he gets a hard time. But Thomas, the doubter, doubting Thomas, some doubted, and maybe more than uh, Thomas, maybe others in the company of disciples, maybe there were others that doubted. Um, This was a hard thing to wrap your mind around a resurrection, wasn't it? I mean, this was not simple. They weren't expecting it. It surprised them. But look at verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. I love these verses. This is the commission. This is the mission of the church. And I don't have to spend a lot of time explaining this to this crowd. Christ is obviously addressing the apostles. He gives them this mandate that we call the Great Commission. It defines the purpose of the church. And what it means, okay, folks, what the Great Commission means is that every church should make individual disciples baptize those disciples and teach and instruct what Christ commanded. We are to make disciples by giving the gospel, baptize them, and then teach them what Jesus Christ commanded. And if you were to say it in in a nutshell, three words, I would say this, God's plan for missions or the Great Commission is evangelism, okay, telling others, discipleship or baptism which is the first step of obedience it's identifying with that church so evangelism baptism and then third discipleship so i'm going to look at those three those tonight the basic form of the great commission but but i'm going to um add something to it you say we're not supposed to add anything to the bible i'm not okay first i'm going to say that number four is is evangelism and baptism and discipleship, but number four is church planting. You see, and the reason that I can say that's, that's part of the Great Commission is because this was given to the church, to that first Jerusalem church. And then as, after this took place, when Jesus Christ then in the book of Acts, after he left and went up to heaven, what did they do in the book of Acts? They planted churches. And so the Great Commission, the mission of the church is to evangelize, baptize, disciple, and plant more churches so that more people can be evangelized and baptized and discipled and more churches can be planted. That's the church's purpose. It, now, it's often convoluted though, isn't it? In that exam, For an example, you'll meet people that talk about what the church should do for them. 
You'll meet people that say, well, this is what I'm looking for in a church. Or, or the, if, if the church has good services or not, if they have enough to offer our family. Uh, listen, I understand those things. That we want to offer those kinds of things to families. We want to make sure that we have things to offer and we've got good organized programs. But according to God's word, if we did nothing else except evangelize, baptize, disciple and plant churches here and abroad, then we are meeting and fulfilling our purpose. I mean, in in some ways, every once in a while, it's good to back up and simply ask yourself about things that are happening. Wait, which category does this fit into? Does it fit into evangelizing? Does it fit into baptizing? Does it fit under discipleship? Does it fit under church planting? And sometimes that kind of helps you hone in on the most important things. But it's through these efforts that our mission, given by Christ himself, is carried out. So evangelism is where we're going to start. In Acts chapter 5, verse 52, it makes this statement. Actually, let's turn there. We're going to turn to some places tonight. Acts chapter 5. Turn over to in Acts chapter 5, verse 42. Acts chapter 5, verse 42. And once you're there, let's read it out loud together. Acts chapter 5, verse 42. Ready, begin. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. That pretty much sums up what a church should be about. Evangelism is giving the gospel. It's proclaiming the good news about the person and work of Jesus Christ. You know, do you know Jesus Christ is the theme in the entire Bible? If you go to the Old Testament, from the Old Testament, you're looking forward to Jesus. If you read the Gospels in the New Testament, they're looking at Jesus. From Acts through Revelation, you're looking you're looking at, at Jesus. You're looking back in Revelation again. You're looking forward. That He's always the focus. Even Jesus himself, if you remember on the road to Emmaus, the day that he arose from the dead, on the road to Emmaus, there were some disciples walking toward that place. And it says that, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning who? Himself. So Jesus Christ, he went back to Moses and Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. He went all the way back to the beginning and it says he expounded on those things in all the scriptures from Moses and the prophets and all of those things. He expounded the things concerning himself. It all was pointing to him. In John 5, it's Jesus said of the scriptures, they are which testify of me. So evangelism is the duty of every Christian. All of us are to share the gospel. And listen, the topic of our conversations when we are telling people the gospel is about one person, and that is Jesus Christ himself. And I think it was Brother Lydic maybe that preached in the last month. And he said, our message is Jesus saves. That should be the message we are giving everywhere we go. And, And so I have to ask this, though. When's the last time you taught or preached? Remember, they taught, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ daily. So I'm asking you, when's the last time that you taught or you had a conversation with somebody outside the walls of Eastside Baptist Church or outside of your classroom or outside of junior church? When's the last time that you had a conversation about Jesus Christ outside these walls? 
And I don't mean to make it sober tonight, but if it says, and daily they cease not to teach and preach, and yet we take an examination uh, tonight and we have, a, we have a questionnaire and says, when's the last time that you taught or preached or had a conversation about Jesus outside the walls of Eastside Baptist Church and not in your home? I mean, with people that you're trying to tell the gospel to, when's the last time that happened in your life? And folks, honestly, if it, I, I think I could probably stop right here and we could have an invitation and say, Lord, I have not been faithful to teach ceasing. Uh, I've ceased teaching. I've ceased having conversations about Jesus Christ. If that's our mission, then a Christian that isn't proclaiming the good news is missing their purpose. Evangelism is the duty of our church collectively. We're to do whatever we can as a body together to spread the gospel message. So again, if you're not giving the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you're not helping contribute to our church mission. And you say, well, we don't have a program right now. I understand that. But the word, the Bible says daily. That's not a program. That is a mindset. So for us to have the mindset that, that our mission is Jesus wherever we go. And we think and as soon as the church starts up door knocking again, I'm going to get involved in it. Then we're missing the boat. It's not a program. It's a mindset. And I'm asking you tonight, do you have a mindset in evangelism that's correct? So the first is evangelism. The second is baptism. Baptism, and we believe that the word literally, the Greek word means immersion. It means uh, to go under. It's a, a, bear, a picture of a burial in Matthew, in Romans chapter 6. And a burial is an immersion. It's an immersion of new believers into water. So to be baptized is to publicly profess salvation in Christ and identify with the church. Baptism follows conversion. If you're still in Acts, turn over to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we'll begin reading in verse 36. And it says there, so this is Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. And it says in 36, Acts 2, 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. That's kind of the end of his message there. Verse 37 is the response. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So listen, a church is not just, they're preaching the gospel here. Peter is very clearly giving the gospel, but it's not just about preaching the gospel. It is also to baptize believers. Baptism is done in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Spirit because it is done with God's authority. We don't get to define how baptism works and how it, how, how it looks. We follow what the New Testament um, example is. And we're going to deal with baptism in greater detail at a different time. But suffice it to say that as unimportant as it might see in this modern culture, this modern religious culture, it's an essential part of a Bible believer's doctrine, baptism. It's, it's not just letting others know what's happened to you on the inside, baptism after conversion, 
but it's also identifying you with a local church that you believe believes the right doctrine. So when's the last time someone you won stirred these waters? We're talking about the purpose of the church. And we've got many in here that had been a part of Eastside Baptist Church for a long time. But if you've not been involved in evangelism and nobody that you've ever won has stirred the baptistry waters, how involved does that mean that you are in the mission and the, the great commission of Eastside Baptist Church? So we go move on and we come to discipleship. Again, in Matthew 28, go ye therefore and teach all nations. That's evangelism. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. That's baptism. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That's discipleship. When individuals are born again and they follow through with baptism, it is the church's responsibility to teach them the things that Jesus Christ himself taught. And if you're still in Acts chapter 2, look at verse 41 again. It says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. That's quite an evangelistic meeting, isn't it? Verse 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. So our mission as a church is not complete if we simply preach the gospel and we baptize people, no, after that, we have a responsibility to teach the, the apostles' doctrine and to engage people in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. There is much more. And listen, a lot of people believe, and this is a, a misnomer uh, or it's, it's a misunderstanding. A lot of people believe that once you get saved, then that's the climax and everything is over. No, folks, that's just the beginning. When you get saved and baptized, that's when your new life begins. It's kind of like at a graduation, they call it a commencement, not because it's the end of school, but a commencement is they're commencing life. They're just starting. And sometimes I, maybe we should call discipleship commencement. And that we're trying to get people to see, no, your life, it's not like everything to your, in your life comes to this point and stops. No, from this point now, you can finally start living the life that you've always been meant to live. It's a commencement. It's the beginning of something. And our mission as a church is not complete just because they've been saved and baptized. Doctrine then begins to come into play. We must teach, we must train, we must, we must disciple. They must begin to learn the truths concerning Christ, the commandments that he gave, the writings of the, apostle, of the apostles, even the Old Testament teachings, of, of which are the foundations of all the things that we believe. And listen, as an application, this is part of our mission. So I'm asking, and again, I make this sober, but I'm just trying to deal with the things we're dealing with tonight. Have you ever mentored another believer to grow in Christ? Have you ever reproduced yourself in another believer? Have you ever looked at somebody at church and said, you know, they're new or they're, they're newly saved or they just got baptized and, you know, they're coming to class and that's a great thing. But, I, but somebody just needs to take them under their, under their wing and, and teach them. That's what, that's what we're trying to do when it comes to discipleship. That's what we're trying. We're trying to get every member of Eastside to have a responsibility in the Great Commission. And you, listen, you cannot control how, how much involvement you have in seeing a soul saved. You can put lots of effort in. You can. 
but you don't control the outcome. You can't twist somebody's arm. I mean, you could twist somebody's arm and make them, you know, call on Christ, but I'm not sure that's a good, that's a good profession. No, you could, you could, you could, but listen, you can't control the outcome. And you can't control if somebody that you win ever stirs the baptistry waters. But one thing that all of us can do is mentor another believer. And this is not a matter of pride. This is not you saying, I have all the answers and I have a lot to teach you. No, that's not the point. This is about obedience. This is about you saying, no, I have a heart that somebody would take them under their wing and teach them like somebody taught me. And I want to be the one. I would be willing to be involved. And it, although it, and it's not just personal mentoring, uh, although that's part of it, but discipleship is a corporate task. New believers grow, grow exponentially. They're meant to grow by the assembling together with that church and through the teaching of their teachers and the teaching and preaching of their pastor. The end goal of discipleship is that every new believer, so if you've got involvement in discipleship, approach it with this mentality. Yes, that, that however long it takes, that 14 weeks, when you're going through that material, that's, that's vital, it's important, but that's not the end. The end is that that disciple is, is when, they're done, when they're done, they're sitting next to you in the pew and assembling, and then they're serving next to you when it's time to serve. It's not just about a program we take people through, it's to make disciples. That in the end, that there are more people here assembling and serving, or that those that are assembling and serving have a different kind of knowledge and strength about them because they've grown. And the, the, final, the final step or the final thing that we're talking about um, in terms of the Great Commission is church planning. So our mission does not just end at evangelism and baptism and discipleship. We, we, we take it a step further and say, no, now there's a process of church planning because that's what they did all throughout the book of Acts. Uh, the New Testament makes it clear that church planting is part of the church's mission. When Jesus said, upon this rock, I'll build my church, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Would you think that the Lord, when he, when he started that church in Jerusalem, was he saying to the apostles that that particular church would never cease? When he says, I'll build my church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it, shall not prevail against it. He wasn't saying this church in Jerusalem will, will always exist because... Frankly, that church in Jerusalem has been gone for a long time. Jesus Christ, though, is, is speaking of his church as the institution. And, and he had in mind a local, by the way, again, he had in mind a local church. And when those disciples heard church, they're thinking assembly. So when he's talking about the institution in general, it was never Christ's plan, though, for the only, only to be one New Testament church. He wasn't saying, this is the church, this Jerusalem church, this church will always exist, nothing will ever beat it, it'll always be around. No, he, he wanted that first church to reproduce itself. And this reproduction of itself, also called, I'm calling it church planting, is the means that God used to spread the gospel around the world. I mean, and let's look over at Acts chapter 8. Let's look at Acts 8. So again, we're in the book of Acts if you, by the way, if you want to learn about the New Testament church, the book of Acts is the place to go. I mean, it, it gives you all of these insights into how the New Testament church reproduced itself. Look at Acts chapter 8, verse 1. 
And notice this is Saul or the Apostle Paul before he was saved on the road to Damascus. Look at verse 1, chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death. That's the death of Stephen. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria and except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore they, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. You know, it's, this is just amazing. I love to see how this happens, is that in a trial, in a persecution, when you're being squeezed, uh, growth tends to take place. And in this case, Saul was persecuting the church there in Jerusalem. And in persecution, I mean, the persecution was hot. And the persecution was heavy. He was going literally into people's homes and taking them out of their homes and taking them to prison. And so in being persecuted then, they started to scatter. And it was through the scattering then that other churches began being planted. That scattering, God allowed it to be used to, for, to fulfill his great commission plan. And that at that point in time, in Acts chapter 8, you know, before Jesus had left, he had told his disciples, he said, he says, and you'll go, you'll be witnesses of, unto me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Okay, that's what he told them. Well, at this point in Acts 8, they were still just focusing on Jerusalem. And this church, some say, was upwards of, I don't know, 50,000 people. I don't know. They, they say it was a huge church at that time. But it needed to spread. It needed to reproduce itself. And God used the persecution of Acts 8 to see that accomplished. Look over at Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Now, this is interesting because the very person that was causing the persecution in Acts chapter 8 now is being sent out to start churches. Look at Acts 13. This is Saul after his conversion and being saved. Look at Acts 13 verse 1. It says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manian, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. The one, remember the one persecuting and pulling people out of their homes to put them in prison. Look at verse 2. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. And what did they send them to do? If you read the rest of the book of Acts, what did Paul spend the rest of his life doing? What was he doing? He was planting churches. God is taking people from this. This is a fairly new church in Antioch, and he's already taking people from this work, and he's sending them out to start more churches. This is the beginning of Paul's first missionary journey. So, but how do we know this was a church planting journey? Well, because the first missionary trip that Paul went on, he went to um, him and Paul, Paul and Barnabas. They go through the cities of Galatia. They go through places like Antioch um, and, and uh, Lystra and Derbe and Iconium. Those are cities in Galatia or Greece. One of the first epistles that Paul wrote was the letter to the Galatians. And in the, and the first sentence of that, of that epistle, you will see that it's addressed to the churches of Galatia. And the reason Eastside Baptist Church, friends, is involved in world missions 
is because the scriptures command us to and because the book of Acts is all about church planning. And, and we have got to then be on board with planning churches. And the reason we started a church planning conference last year is, and will continue, Lord willing, is because the Bible majors on it. And that's the emphasis of the New Testament. And our mission is missions. We're preaching the gospel. We're baptizing those who believe. We're teaching them in the faith. We're starting other works to do the same. And, uh, boy, I've got more. Okay, let's, let's carry on. So why is this so important? Let me, I'm going to shift gears a little bit here. So we see that the, the, the process of the Great Commission is evangelism, baptism, discipleship, church planning. Okay, so how involved are you in church planning? You say, well, I've never planted a church. Well, it's time to obey God, okay? No, I, God may not be God. I mean, you notice here the Holy Spirit separated Paul and Barnabas. The Holy Spirit selected them. And so, but, but I do have to say this. There may be some in this room, and I have no doubt that God may be calling, especially some of our young people in this room, to plant churches in our region. And we've got a great need in this part of the country. So it, it, God may not be calling you, but may, maybe he is. But if he's not calling you directly, how involved are you in giving so that church planning can take place? And just to take a step back, why does this all matter? What, where does this commission, you know, why does this all matter? Well, I just want to go back and remind you about the authority, the one who gave us the authority to do this work. Jesus Christ himself gave us this authority. And he, it was important enough to him that we take this and we go. And listen, I'm just going to skip to some of the closing questions here. If the church's purpose is the Great Commission... That means that your purpose as a member of Eastside Baptist Church is only fulfilled as long as you're involved in the work of the Great Commission. So I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying tonight, if you come to Eastside Baptist Church and, and you sit with no involvement in the Great Commission, then you are frustrating the purpose that God has in your life to be involved in the Great Commission. That's your purpose. So how are you personally involved in the Great Commission? When's the last time you had a conversation outside of these walls about Jesus Christ with somebody else? Are you contributing or are you letting others be responsible? Do you have involvement in our four applications? Do you have involvement in evangelism, uh, giving the gospel? Do you have involvement in baptism, seeing those ones stir these waters? Do you have involvement in discipleship, which is helping others grow in their faith instead of just focused on your growth? And do you have involvement in church planning, either going yourself or giving faithfully so that someone else can go? So once again, I, I hope that you're seeing... Our positions on the local church should affect how we operate. Don't let anybody tell you that doctrine doesn't matter because your position affects your practice. And if you truly dig in to what the, the function, the nature and the function of the local church, and you really get an idea of what it truly means and what it truly looks like, I don't think that we'd have to convince people to get up and go get involved. I think maybe we've heard these things so much 
that we maybe they've lost a little bit of their value to us or their significance to us. But I'm asking you tonight if the purpose of Eastside Baptist Church is to be involved in the Great Commission and you're not involved in the Great Commission either through evangelism or, or seeing those that you win baptized or through discipleship or, or through giving so that other churches can be planted or through going if God is calling you to plant churches then you are not fulfilling your purpose as a child of God. And I know that's very confrontational, and I know it may even seem mean, but sometimes we just need to get back to the basics. And these doctrines should affect how we operate. And for us to get back to what the church really is supposed to be doing, I think it should convict us. Say, God, I've not been talking about Jesus nearly enough. I've not been going nearly enough. I've not had on my heart and mind the souls of people that I see on a daily basis nearly enough. God, I have not been passionate about the Great Commission nearly enough. Would you forgive me tonight and help me to do better from here on out? I hope that this application would be obvious tonight. Let's stand together. Every head bowed and every eye closed as we have a verse of invitation. We have an opportunity to respond to the preaching tonight. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.